teams and plays with Texas players. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Purple Theory Podcast. My name is Grant McGalliard, and alongside me always is Parker Fleming. Parker, how are you doing this evening? Uh, Grant, I am. Uh, I'm doing well. Um, I've, uh, you know, I hit my step goal for today. Uh, I've opened a beer, and I'm relaxing in the evening. So I, I feel like I'm having a really good, uh, a really good day. How about you? That's a fantastic Wednesday. Uh, I, I'm doing well. My, my roommate's dad dropped off a jar of uh, bolognese sauce. So I had some, uh, some, some noodles bolognese. Let me tell you, a great, great dish. Uh, it, it's been a delight, which I know everyone wants to know about, um, you know, what we're drinking and eating. This is a, uh, this is a culinary podcast uh, in the offseason. It is. I don't know if anyone knows that. Um, shout, out, shout out Gordon Ramsay. Uh, he really is a good guy, I think. I love that That's commercial where he's, like, where he's like, use a cocktail stick, and then the girl Im- impersonates him, and she's like, use a cocktail stick. I saw yeah, a lot sure. Of, uh, or the YouTube time where TV. he told someone he was the time where he called someone a donkey, which is a <laughs> great insult, uh, and some, something I've called myself on several different occasions. Um, Parker, before we get into the main topic today, which is the TCU offense, I'm and, so excited to talk about the TCU offense. I know, me too, uh, and and uh, excited and both kind of apprehensive. I think we should address some of the news that's been going around college football about adapted schedules. Okay, can I just can I just plug in for I I'm I'm sure I have opinions about this. I've been delightfully and intentionally off of Twitter for like the last two weeks, so I'm coming to this blind. I guarantee I'm going to have opinions. Okay. But let you you walk okay. me through this. Okay. Well, first off, I can tell you that I know the Big Ten and the SEC are looking at doing like um, only conference play. I think the Big Ten is. I think the SEC is is. I, I think they're still deliberating. Um, someone will correct me if I'm wrong there. But I know the ACC has announced a complete uh, schedule, and it's solely ACC play. So uh, I'm looking up the uh, the the tweet right now. But basically, um, Coastal and Atlantic conferences are merged, and so and Notre Dame is involved. So Notre Dame is now an ACC football member for this season, which is going to be entertaining. Do you think yeah, that's going to be going to stick? No, I don't. I think this is a one-time only thing. Interesting. Uh, I mean, they so have, for like, example, so USC and Navy that they want to play, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, and, but and that's really it. Like, they normally play a lot of ACC teams. Right. Besides that, um, so for example, so so let's use Notre Dame um, as our as our test team here. Uh, their schedule model. So no, each team will have five home games, five away games. So Notre Dame would have home for Clemson, Duke, Florida State, Louisville, and Syracuse, and they're at Boston College, Georgia Tech, North Carolina, Pitt, and Wake. And none of those dates are set yet. But so every team has five home games, five away games, completely mixed between Coastal and Atlantic. Uh, and they're just going to play it out. And then the top two teams, based on conference game winning percentage, will play uh, a conference championship game at Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte. Interesting. Okay, this, now, this rules. It kind of does, right? It's like, funny it's because I want to. I, I so so I have a graphic here in front of me. You, I want to make it like week by week, but like BC is stacked on top of each other a bunch, and like it's clearly like they use some right. kind of like predetermined algorithm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not a week by week thing, but but that, that's just what they have. I mean, this is what the this is what the Big Twelve does. Just we just don't have. I think you know, that's the things. thing. So 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 
one one joke we should make, and, and shout out to Jason Kirk for making it. Uh, no one is happier about this than South Carolina fans uh, when the Clemson game was canceled, which is a <laughs> darn. That's a re- that's a darn shame. We were really looking forward to playing upperclassmen Trevor Lawrence and company. Would have been so enjoyable and fun. Shucks. Yeah. Uh, so South Carolina is the big winner. Um, but number two, this is one big. This is one true champion. That's all yeah. this is. It, 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 the Big 12 has been doing this for years. Uh, and shout out to the ACC for finally adapting to the, the only real college football conference, the Big 12. This is, um, yeah, so th- like this is fascinating to me. And I'm, I'm just like pouring this over for the first time. Um, can I just point out uh, Florida State, sorry, dudes, Clemson, UNC, Virginia at home. And then they play at Louisville, at Miami, at Notre Dame. Uh, that's, that's like potentially six losses right there guaranteed. Uh, getting five wins would be tough. Yeah. Holy cow. I'll, I'll also point you to Virginia's away schedule, which is Clemson, Florida State, Miami, Virginia Tech, and Wake. Yeah. Well, Wake, I I think Wake's going to be ass, but, uh, I think they're going to be ass, but you know, I mean, you know, can can I segue? Well, we're just, look, it's the off season. If you're listening to this podcast, clearly you're deprived for college football content. So I don't feel bad about doing this. Dave Clemson. Dave Clawson might be the most underrated coach in America. That is not an absolute statement of quality. That is not saying he belongs in tier one. That's not saying he belongs in tier two. Dave Clawson belongs in tier three, and he is so underrated. Dave Clawson, like, builds programs, dudes. He does. He's a very good coach. I agree. I agree. There's no doubt about it. Um, yeah. I, I, so I like Wake because my aunt used to work there, but – yeah. Didn't they get caught yeah, cheating recently? No, it was the Wakey League thing where they lost a playbook. And golly, I'm so mad. No, it was Louisville. The, no, it was a Louisville. Wake Forest. Okay, it was a Wake Forest staffer who gave the playbook to Louisville. That's right. That's right. That's so funny, yeah, the opposite of cheating. They sabotage themselves. Imagine um, needing a playbook. Like imagine needing a leaked playbook to beat Wake. To beat Wake. Like, yeah. You come to me and you're like, hey, you're playing Wake Forest on Saturday, and we want to cheat. I'm like. Nah, man, I think we'll be all right. Nah, like, we'll get it. We're <laughs> all right. Um, yeah, and, and like, the only thing good that's happened to Wake, this is way more than I thought we talked about Wake Forest football this podcast, but the only thing good that's happened to Wake is that Tyler Cameron was a star on The Bachelor, or The Bachelorette. Just an absolute stud. And, listen, did he throw a lot of interceptions when he played, like, one game at quarterback for Wake? Yes. But the the guy was an absolute Neat missile, an incredibly handsome guy, very likable. Shout out Tyler Cameron. Shout out Demon Deacons. Good for you. Oh um, okay, wait. I saw a tweet. I saw a tweet a while back that was. I, it was probably like Roger Sherman or somebody like that, who uh, who tweeted and said like, "You can't be on The Bachelor as an ex college player unless your prof- unless your football reference page looks like this." And it was like nine teams in in seven years. Like it was like he, yeah. he had three or four guys who had been on The Bachelor. As football, like former football players, and they had literally all like bounced around teams for like five years, yep. and then they became a contestant yeah. bachelor. Colton Underwood being the uh, the the main guy there. Uh, it, it's either that or you played college football, but your stats for like played three games through six passes. One of them was picked off, right. and that's it. Like it, it, that's the exclusive thing. Or or if you're Madison Pruitt from the latest Bachelor, you were a very very good high school basketball player in Alabama in like 1A basketball. But good for her. She won a state title. Uh, 
moving away from Bachelor Talk, which we could take up this entire podcast. I know, I know we could go down that um, road. Yeah, let's 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 put a fence I, Yeah, I really could. I, so so you haven't so I know you've been off Twitter. Um I'm signing Brett McMurphy here. Um so apparently by his sources and this is very funny the way he's worded this tweet. The Big Twelve conferences, top three scheduling options are twelve games, nine Big Twelve games and one non conference, or just nine Big Twelve games only. Most unlikely option now is a 12-game schedule because other five or other Power Five leagues have reduced or limited non-conference games. Yeah, I bet that is the most unlikely option. But the fact that that's still an option is crazy to me, and that they haven't sold themselves on a contingency plan. Not from any statement about like relative risk or like what they should do, just from a sheer like logistics standpoint, it seems crazy that that's an option. Um, can I can I lament a casualty of all this? There's a lot of casualties of all this, but like, I, I feel like HBCUs are really going to suffer, man. And that's yeah. not like a 100%. no one did anything wrong to like induce that. That's nope. not anything other than just like this is a lament to say that like those guys funded. You know, it, they didn't just fund their football program; they funded their women's volleyball program by going mm-hmm. and playing these buy games and by not being able to do football this fall, man. That's just going to strap some of those schools so hard. Um, which just like sucks. That's that, that's all it is. It, it sucks. No, it a hundred percent sucks. You're exactly right. Uh, and, and and this is a complete cop out statement. I don't think there's any way around it. I just think it completely sucks. And it's something we should acknowledge because because like yeah, those teams go. They play power five teams. They get their butts kicked, but they make money off of it, and it, it, it's a vital part of their financial system. And yeah, it's it's a unreported casualty. I yeah. think of well, and, and, and I mean, even even to some standpoint, like I know a guy who played it. Uh, I, I you know I have a a friend who played at Tennessee Tech when they came and played at TCU. Mm-hmm. I have a friend who played at UT Martin and went and played at Nayland Stadium in in Knoxville at Tennessee, um, and they were saying like as cheesy as it sounds, you know, you know, you're not in the big leagues, and to get to go play this like big D1 stadium with the fans, like that's a huge experience too. And so there's plenty of people oh, yeah. who are missing out on that as well. So there's kind of oh, two yeah. levels of like, man, it just sucks that yeah, it just it just sucks. That's all. I don't have any it more editorializing. Uh, no, no, no. I mean, even like like, I mean, it's not an HBCU, but my, my mom went to Sam Houston State, which yeah. is a very very good FCS program. But um, go Bearcats to the cave. Go Bearcats, yes. Um, also, where I advanced to state and high school debate. That's that's not a hint there. I was really, really good when I was performing then. But hey, anyway, were you super uh, cool? They, they, were you super cool in high school? I, I was. Let me you want to talk about I, that I, more? <laughs> I do. But, uh, no, no, no. Like they played a uh, they played A and M uh, in Manziel's uh, second year, and I went to that game because I had friends that were there at A and M, and there were so many. Sam Houston State fans there just being like, dude, like this is like the biggest game our program's played in forever. That's yeah. not, you know what I mean? Like it's we're at Kyle Field, you know, hundred something thousand people playing against the reigning Cosmic Trophy winner, and that was an awesome experience. They got their butts kicked, but they had a couple good plays, and I'm sure those people that made those plays remember that for the rest of their lives. And that's yeah. not a demeaning thing to say. I don't mean like, oh, you know, poor pity them for for going to Sam Houston. I just mean people are being robbed of that experience. Right. It's thanks. As- as someone who's like a very bad, a very, very bad high school football player, like I wish I had that opportunity, you know, like that's, yeah. that's the pinnacle of some of these people's athletic careers. And that's amazing. Like, yeah. yeah so, so there's that one level. And then there's this kind of like fiduciary level too, where it's just like, man, we're going to have some rough, rougher times ahead because of the budget mm-hmm. fallouts from all this. We will. Well, and okay. Since we're being, um, 
you know, let's make this the callous portion. If you're thinking about this for TCU, those three games, Cal, SMU, and uh, Prairie View that, that were originally scheduled, like those were great opportunities for our players to grow. Like, yes. uh, you know, I, I yes. know Cal would have been tough and SMU would have been pretty tough and you'd assume you beat Prairie View, but those games would have been vital heading into Big 12 season. And the fact that they don't get those and they've also had no spring football, will have a shorter fall practice session is really, really going to hurt a lot of teams. And TCU is certainly one of those teams. Can I, can I just circle? So TCU was scheduled to start Big 12 play with Oklahoma State coming to town on October the 3rd, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that game, ideally you're like, okay, Prairie View, Cal, SMU kind of get ramped up. Then they come in and then you can like, all right, we're going to compete with Oklahoma State. Man, Oklahoma mm-hmm. State's so senior, so veteran. You're like, yep. shoot, if we start the season on 10-3 with Oklahoma State, we're probably going to get our asses handed to us just because we haven't been able to mm-hmm. do anything, you know? I know. And I, so I don't know if the Big 12 just plays a nine-game schedule where they just say, okay, we're going to play a round-robin and that's it. I don't know if they'll keep the same order. Oklahoma State's really interesting. And as we talked about with, uh, with Adam Lund a couple weeks ago, what Spencer Sanders is going to take some time to get, you know, kind of ramped up to, to meet to, if he's going to meet his potential. So that could actually play well for TCU that he doesn't have those games. And the yeah. defense for TCU is, is so experienced and is, is the focal point of the team that that actually kind of play in our favor. But the offense, golly, man, I mean, they, they got to have some reps at some point before they go up against a team like Oklahoma State with some weapons on defense. Right. It, it's, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it the whole thing stinks, Parker. Not to be depressing, but no, it does. It's, it's unfortunate, and it's a constraint that like none of us could do anything about. You know, uh, yeah, yeah it's just something that we as like human beings and we as college football fans could be like, hey, college football is important to us, and that's not silly, that's not trivial, and um, this this is a, a huge disruption yeah. in that, and that's like a national cultural thing that we have to acknowledge. Thanks. It's just like this sucks. This yep. is, yeah, it does. Well, okay. Well, let's take emotion out of it. And I want to, before we get to the office real quick, I I do want to point this out. So I think me and you both agree that TCU has a chance to win, you know, if things break right, seven or eight games this year, maybe nine, if, if, you know, if if things go well, 2021, I think would be the year for TCU football to be the breakthrough year where, you know, you, you compete for a big 12 title, you do all that. Right. I think not having this year in football or, or having a shortened year, I shouldn't say that. I don't want to be too pessimistic, would really set us back for 2021. And that's kind of what I'm worried about is like this would have been such a great development year. And I would have put so much money on TCU in 2021 to yeah. make a deep run. And that's like, I, I, don't, I don't, do you feel the same way? Yeah. So I'm entirely speaking in speculation and tea leaves and nonsense here, but like, it feels like 2021 is like the last great hurrah. Is that something we can leave the podcast? I don't want to, I don't want to like, I don't know anything. I'm not, yeah, whatever. It's not like Gary's going to like me any, any less because I say, you know, uh, uh, but like, I think 2021 is like the shot for TCU under Gary Patterson. Uh, and so, yeah, this definitely, uh, you, you can start talking yourself into like, okay, eight wins, Russell Athletic Bowl win against like an ACC team or something, like a, a Big Ten team, I mean, is like, okay, awesome. We're rolling into 2021. 
Max Duggan's junior season going to be really, really good. We're going to lose a lot, but we're going to have some like continuity as well. Um, yep. Honestly, like 2021 feels a lot like Charlie Brewer's 2020, 2019 for, for, you know, for, so those yeah. are like similar yeah. in terms of like, okay, this is the year you're going to have it. And then I think Duggan will be around another season. So yeah, I think this definitely, there are some long standing ramifications just from the standpoint of like getting game reps, getting an entire season. Um, not to mention like they didn't have spring also, gosh, this sounds way more pessimistic than I think I believe, but like, Hey man, are we, are we doing spring football in 2021 right now? I don't know. I don't know either. I, I, well, was and, and, I think, I think we should, yeah. I, I hope we're at a, at a point where we can, but like there's just so much uncertainty now that you're just like, shoot, you know, for someone who is lining up to have a, you know, how to take your lumps year in 2019 had a get better year in 2020, had a compete year in 2021. If that was the plan, this is a real tough time to, uh, for this to happen. I agree. And, and so I'll, I'll play optimist a bit just for. Thank you. I need the, it. <laughs> uh, no, just for the long term. So let's say 2021 happens. I think we're both pretty optimistic about that season. If, you know, if, if it's relatively normal. Yeah, that could be the launching point too. It's, it might be the last great hurrah, but it also might be. Look, this pushes TCU into a CFP. You know, fingers crossed. You know, or, or at least a Big Twelve title, whatever. And that cements us as a legitimate recruiter in Texas and Louisiana and all that. And we'll build on the recruiting success that we've had. Uh, Duggan uses that. You know, wins a Heisman in twenty twenty two, whatever. But just. 2021 could be a launching pad, not just the last great hurrah. And I sincerely believe that. I think 2021 entirely determines who TCU hires after Gary Patterson. For sure, but Patterson in not terms of dis- in 2021. No, 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 no. Of course, I, no, 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 but it's like it, it's it is it is advertising to someone who would come take the TCU job. Yeah, like here's exactly. what you here's what you could do. Yeah, yes, for sure, for sure. And and so uh, that's not being pessimistic. That's Gary's gonna retire. Yeah, and Gary's still he you know hand of God he's still a great coach, a hundred percent. And twenty twenty one is his year to make his moonshot. I, I really think it is. And so I hope that that creates a foundation for years to come. So when he eventually does retire, the next coach can build upon that. But it's just going to take some breaks, man. It's going to take this year giving guys at least some amount of reps, good experience, and hopefully we'll have spring football and can, you know, capitalize on it. And yeah. somehow that's the optimistic side. Yeah, it's, so, it's a weird yeah. It's a weird time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a weird time. Um, Parker, do you want to be optimistic about the TCU offense? Okay. I mean, I do. I would like to be optimistic about it. Yeah. <laughs> I want to be. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Let's, um, Grant, let's like, let's like put reality on hold. Let's just say like, yes. throw the virus yes. out the window. Um, yes. Literally stay outside. It's, it's safer than inside. Uh, that's not medical advice. That was a joke. Don't take my, you know, uh, Dr. Fleming here to, uh, yeah. No, I, yeah, not a, definitely not a medical doctor. Um, yes. Okay. Let's talk about the offense. So uh, I've done a crazy thing. I have a piece that I'm probably going to put up on the newsletter, like on Friday. Again, plug, subscribe to the Purple Theory newsletter. Um, 
that I, I like went through and charted the Texas game because uh, I feel like that was TCU's best offensive game last year and just said like, hey, here's what Sonny Cumbie's offense does. Um, and mm-hmm. I looked at like, I focused on personnel and like base concepts. So it wasn't like play by play, hey, here's what they did. I just said like, hey, here's how they're lining up. Here's the matchups they're trying to exploit on its own terms. What is it trying to do? So I feel like I have some, you know, some thoughts about kind of what the offense could do and who might fit into that. So um, let's just kind of, let's start with like position by position and just uh, talk about what we think is going to happen this fall. Um, so where, where do you want to start? Do you have anything that, uh, that jumps well, out Well, you? you know, I think, and normally when we do this, we start at quarterback and I think, listen, I will never tire talking about Max Duggan, but I think we've covered what we believe he can do. Let's save him uh, for the end. Let's save him for the end. Let's he'll okay. be the cherry okay. on top of the rest of this. Cause yes, I agree. Let's, let's do it. I, we talk, we, we talk that. about him a lot. Yes. Okay. Yes. I love you, Max. Sure. I know you're listening and uh, we, we fully support yes. you. Noted purple theory fan, Max Duggan. Uh, okay. Well, let's start with a uh, running back. Um, I open into question. Um, I, I, so I have your, I have your guesses for the TCT roster for 2020. I feel really good about this guesses. I'm going to put these on Twitter tonight. I think I feel, I feel good about this. <laughs> Can I ask you this? You have three sheets. Which one should I be reading off of? No, you should be reading guess three. It like evolves over time. Okay. So okay. guess one was like pre-spring. Guess okay. two was like pre, you know, post Zach Evans transfer. Okay. And guess three is okay. like yesterday. Okay. Uh, so so let's start running back. So Darwin Barlow and Zach Evans appear to be leaders in the clubhouse. Yes. I'm fine with that, I think. I think they'll be pretty good. I, I think it's a good one-two punch. Well, so I think I think it's interesting because I I look a lot at like body types, mm-hmm. um, and it's weird because for the last like literally what three years TCU has had literal thunder and lightning in the backfield. Yep. They've had like okay yep. Darius Anderson on early downs, Shea Will on late downs, yep. um, or for like you know we want to go wild frog on fourth. How yep. freaking dare you! Um, you said we were going to be optimistic, damn it. Don't look, I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there on my own. Don't pull me down. Um, yeah. So like literal, like thunder and lightning. And I think this is fascinating because the, the four running backs who are going to be most involved in TCU offense are Amari DeMarcado, who's 5'11", 200. DeMarco mm-hmm. Foster, who's 5'10", 195. Darwin Barlow, who's 5'11", 195. And Zach Evans, who's 5'11", 200. So they're all the yep. same back, which I think is yeah. a little bit of a strength. I mean, there's going to be some inefficiency there, and like I don't, I don't want anyone to transfer. I could, I could, I could see a scenario where someone says, "Oh, I'm clearly the odd man out." I think Amari Demarcado is not going to be that significant this year, just because of who's there. Um, but I think so. Yeah, I think I think Barlow is going to. Um, I think Barlow will start, and I think Zach Evans. You know, some of the language. Uh, that, that he mentioned about why he came to TCU talked about like pass catching and open field. Yep. And so I wonder if you don't see him in a role like Shaywo did where Shaywo came in on drives where they were running tempo and Shaywo could run yep. up at the slot. He could run up at the H he could run up at the, uh, at the running back and kind of be this versatile weapon. And so I think, I think you'll see Barlow be more of the typical Every running back, back and you'll see Evans yeah. as more of like a, and, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not comparing talent. I'm not comparing speed, but like more of like the Percy Harvin, just like this dude is all over the field kind of a thing. I think if Evans okay. this fall will play more of that role than he will the traditional running back. 
What does that mean for Foster? I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I want Foster to succeed because I think he's very talented. And he has big and, thighs. And this podcast very much supports big thighs. We're both big thighmen. And I, I think having Foster in that group is, is, is a plus for us. Um, no, I, I, I agree. And I, I do think Evidence's language is really interesting. Um, I was going to make the same point you did about him filling that Shea kind of role. And the fact that he said that is encouraging because it makes me, it makes me think that he's willing to sort of not sacrifice, but be able to play and, and embody those, you know, he, he's not going to be there every first and second down, but he might be willing to come in as a freshman in those roles and, right. and be kind of the big play spark plug guy, which I think is awesome. Well, and, uh, and I think if we're getting philosophical about the offense, I think there are plenty of opportunities where we like Carter Ware. Carter Ware plays a really specific role, yeah, and I like what he sure. does. But, like, they lined Carter Ware up in the split when they were running mm-hmm. tempo, and you knew that he was, like, a wasted receiver. And so it's like yep. they could have put Shewo in that H-back role, and yep. he could have done been a lot more versatile than Ware was. Not, that, not, like, not, not necessarily even better, just more versatile. Um, although right. probably, probably better. Um, well, yeah. But yeah. What, what's interesting about that conversation though is like Evans doesn't have the body that Shea would, you know, Evans is not 6'2", no, 240. No. Um, and so I think he will a lot more be a lot more like a, a Turpin or like a Desmond White when he was healthy. Um, a, a, Sky, uh, a Sky Dawson throwback for a lot of those people. Mm-hmm. I think I could mm-hmm. almost see him being a little bit more of that slot route where he's speedier um, and wants mm-hmm. to catch passes, which I think is interesting just given that you have a crowded running back room and you've had a running back or a wide receiver core that's had to like put, you know, Pro Wells, Shea Lua, Carter right. out at out at split last year. Right. Well, and, and even too, and so I've uh, also plugging a article that I wrote for the uh, Purple Theory newsletter, but um, sort of in those situations where, so what I wrote about was a really, not a unique, but a, but a really interesting concept that the Houston Texans run with Sean Watson and their personnel. And you basically, you, you have, you know, a handoff option and then you kind of roll out the naked bootleg and you have a, a trail guy coming from the backfield across the field um, and, and come like a shotgun full house, for example, or you might have three guys, you know, in the backfield quarterback and two running backs and having, you know, let's say Duggan can hand off, you know, have the option to hand off to Barlow uh, they cut back across and have Evans running in front of him for like a quick dump off. I would love Zach Evans okay. in that role. Th- and I think is- I, I, I'd, I'd, I'd written about pro Wells being there, but Wells is sure handed, but if Evans is sure handed man alive, I mean, I, I'm, I'm down to see him. Yeah. This is actually why I wanted to hire Brennan Marion. Who's now the uh, inside receivers coach at Hawaii. He has this mm-hmm. weird offensive system called the go-go offense. And it's like a mm-hmm. two back. It's, it's basically a, it's, you know, RPO is basically a triple option. It's like a triple option right. running offense that's predicated on like two running backs who can catch passes and, and come out of the backfield. And I think TCU has like the depth for that. And so I was very interested um, in, in potentially something like that because I, I like this idea of, again, that's something TCU's offense lacked is like building these concepts that are multi layered. Um, and having, mm-hmm. having these similar backs. So, I, so I think, I think last year, if we're being charitable, TCU said, okay, you know, on early downs, we want speed. So we're going to go Anderson on late downs. We want power. So we're going to go Alana Lua. Uh, but those were yep. almost kind of like self-fulfilling prophecies because you had these body types and it wasn't really 
one, there were some limitations on, on wide receivers, so there's some personnel issues. But there was these kind of like self-fulfilling prophecies of we're going to put this body type in this situation. And you have, you know, three guys who are relatively equally talented. Um, and mm-hmm. you have this opportunity to do some really weird, interesting things with these guys who can come out of the backfield and catch passes. For sure. And, and, and we, so again, I'm thinking about the game re, uh, that both of us rewatched against Kansas State in 2014 with Boykin in the backfield, um, and, you know, Aaron Green in the backfield, all those guys and being able to sort of, you know, use those interesting sort of like short passes, you know, it, it's an RPO, but it's not an RPO. And then you go down field, it's an RPO and you ditch it to a guy in the backfield and TCU carved up Kansas state off those. And all these three, you know, these three guys, like you said, same body type, same kind of skill set, being able to rotate them in. And I think all, all four of them, I guess, you know, DeMarcado Foster, Barlow and Evans can thrive in that role. And, you know, it's, it's nothing new. Again, we saw it six years ago, but just rolling that back out would be entertaining. By the yeah, way, Brett and Marion, I, 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 I confused with Sean Marion for a second, and I was oh, very confused. Yes. Very different. I want to hire Sean yeah. Marion. Wait, who's the who's – Not the, the basketball player. I was thinking about – and somehow I got that mixed up with Sean Glennon. Anyway, it was a whole big – I know who you're talking about now. Who's the guy – is Sean Marion – Sean Marion's the Matrix. He, like, shoots with his elbows yeah. out and, like – And he does, and his hands are just completely screwed up. Yeah, so different people for, for those listening. But yeah. No, um, no, I, I think you're right. I, I think those short passing concepts would be super interesting with, with the personnel TCU has uh, at running back. Can I, can I plug and say, I, I think Brennan Marion is a friend of the podcast. He and I chat a little bit. So uh, yeah. that's, that's, right. that's 100% name dropping, but that's where we are. I think Meacham coming back, Meacham was there on 2014. Yes. I think there's some possibility yes. for some more. Look, man, give me the diamond formation. We saw Tay Barber in the mm-hmm. backfield on a couple interesting plays. Now, TCU didn't like build up those concepts. They just like put him in the backfield and ran a play and then did something else. But right. uh, I think I think there's some precedent for Tay Barber feeling comfortable in the backfield. And then you, you potentially have, you know, three to four pretty exciting weapons in a tempo offense that can get in the mm-hmm. backfield and run a wheel route or run a play action uh, RPO or, or even a zone read when it calls for. Yeah. Man, I, listen, you say the words wheel route and I get excited. Um, so okay, so H, H-back, we're assuming Carter Ware fills that role and he's a good H-back. Let's talk about tight ends. Pro Wells and Octavius Land are the two guys there. Um, spend a brief moment on there before we go to wide receiver. I, I think these guys are weapons, man. I really do. And I think if we use them innovative, innovatively, um, that it's just going to add another dimension. Yes. Okay. Can I ask you a question? Because I actually don't know this. And I, I probably should know this. Sure. Aldontre Davis is not a tight end. I, he's not listed as one. Um, um, I'm confirming that now. And. This is on the fly research. Uh, he's six oh two ten, so he's like he's like a big wide receiver. He's a big body. Like like I mean, if he was if he was six two two ten, I would have no problem saying like, oh, he's obviously a receiver. Like six foot two ten, you're a little hefty, in a good way. That's not a that's, it, it, that's a compliment. Listen, I'm hefty, uh, and and if he's hefty, but uh, yeah, no, but I, you're not so, college football hefty. Yeah, I mean, well, that's yeah. true. I'm not a college football player, but yeah, uh, no, yeah, no, he, he's listed as a wide receiver. Uh, okay. He had one catch, and it was a 22-yard touchdown against Purdue. Yes, so. that play was awesome because yeah. that oh, was, was awesome. Yeah, it was really TCU cool. basically just ran. They ran like a post with Davis, and then a fade with Rager, and three Purdue yep. defenders just gravitated towards Rager, and Duggan just like <laughs> yeah. dropped it to Davis. Yeah, be wide open. And uh, Davis is also like I think he has a lot of talent. I just yeah. I, I think it. We'll, we'll talk about him later. He'll be he'll be definitely yeah. too. Yes. So yeah. I think okay. So the stat you hear about Pro Wells that they pimp all the time is. Uh, Hold on. They, I know okay. what you're going to say. 
Okay. I know what you're going to say, and I want to make it clear before you say it that I am pro pro Wells. Big fan. Big fan. I think Pro Wells is super talented. I think he's underutilized. So the the thing they say is like Pro Wells has more tight end or more touchdowns than any tight end in the Big Twelve last year. And I want to say Pro Wells played fewer snaps at tight end than any tight end in the Big Twelve last year. Pro Wells played like that inside receiver, uh, that big body kind of inside receiver, which is like okay, we're squabbling, whatever. But there's a difference between lining up on the line and lining up five yards, uh, you know, out. Sure. And he did that because there was injury and because he's talented enough that he could fill that role. Um, but I think he was entirely underutilized as a tight end as a result. So that stat is misleading because you're going to get more volume as a slot receiver. But I hope this year that they can use him more as a tight end because he is, yep. he is that traditional, like, he's an NFL tight end, man. I think he's absolutely that talented. I completely agree. And the stereotype for, for pro is that he, he basically <laughs> he runs one route. It's a post route over the middle, and somehow he's open every time. I mean, whether he runs it from tight end or slot receiver, that's how he caught all of his touchdown passes. Or so it feels like he caught all of his touchdown passes. But um, no, he, he's absolutely that talented. And I, I think a traditional tight end in the TCU offense, as much as we love to talk about the spread and, and airing it out and all that, would be really interesting. Um, we've talked with a couple of our guests before about how reintroducing the tight end to the Big 12 is kind of a revolution at this point. And Pro Wells is one of the top three tight ends of the Big 12. So TCU following on that revolution and just having him run routes from the tight end position would be awesome. Absolutely awesome. Yeah, totally. And our Tavis Land, good backup. I I don't mean that in any mean way. I just mean I think Pro is the better option, but I'm fine with Lynn there. Yeah, and, and even in, you know, again, again, ideally TCU is running tempo. So if there's situations where they, they, they run 21 and then they need to run 11 personnel, uh, yep. you know, Wells can shift out. Lynn can play there. Lynn had some moments. I think, sure. I think I, I, you know, TCU hardly ever ran, you know, I guess 12 running backs and then tight ends, right? One, two personnel, yep. not 21. Um, and so they hardly ever ran 12 personnel. I think they have, they have people to do it. But Lynn as a senior is like a solid, reliable – that just gives you an extra dimension of flexibility on the offense. And so I think that's, that's uh-huh. really, really valuable. Um, yeah, I, honestly, this, had... this sounds bad. I'm, I'm having trouble – you're going to tell me your stats, I hope. I'm having trouble like recalling Lynn moments in 2019. So I don't remember any big moments. He had 11 catches for 118 yards. Uh, and a touchdown. Had the same amount of catches as Darius Davis and John Stevens Jr., um, so, and, and only had three fewer yards than Dylan Thomas, um, and had three more catches than Dylan Thomas. So, like, he, he was a fine receiver. Absolutely. Um, and, and I think, um, like, I, I don't mean to say he's a, a good backup in a demeaning way. I just think pro's the, the, the number one option, but I am completely fine having senior Artavius Lynn as if we need to rotate out or we, we go 12 personnel. That's 100% fine with me. Yeah, I don't think I, I don't think Honestly, I remember TC running jumbo in 2019. I'm like, hey, no. you could run jumbo, dude. You could put, <laughs> dude, you could you could put instead of running inside zone out of shotgun, you could put Wells and land at the tight end and wear at the H and just run over some people. What what I like about this podcast is that we're extremely like, hey, don't ever run, but also maybe only run. If you're gonna, here's the thing. Like, it's one thing. of the two. If you're gonna run, don't be stupid about it. That's my only, yeah. If, if, if you're going to run, run, like yeah. run. Yeah, uh, that, that's I think that's the, the stance of the podcast. Anyway, um, okay. You want to talk wide receivers? 
I do. Can I can I start off with like my doomsday stat? Sure. Uh, okay. Fine. Three, three, three players who had like significant playing time last year. Well, two two players who had significant playing time last year at wide receiver had catch rates greater than seventy percent. They were Shaywalalua. Oh, sorry. Okay. They were Shaywalalua. Shaywalalua is fine. And Darius Anderson. Oh. TCU's well, top receivers, Jalen Rager, 48.9%. Tay Barber, 56.9%. Tavales Hunt, 52.6%. Pro Wells, 58.6%. Leading the team in non-running non back receptions. And that's a little deceptive because, like, Shiwa Alana-Lua played a little bit of split. But, like, also, Alana-Lua was the check down option, you know, most of the time. And that's where most of his targets came from. Uh, so... The wide receiver unit was not great. So can I ask a clarifying question on that stat? Yeah. It, it, the, not demeaning Duggan, but does that count? Like, so define catch rate. That's catchable balls, basically? No, it's, um, it, is, it is just uh, balls that were thrown at you. So, like, so okay. catches divided by so, targets. That's, that's, all, that's the data I have. I, uh, I don't right, have, no, I know. Uh, yeah, I, I know, I know. So, so – I'll, I'll say that God bless Duggan. I love him. He's going to win a Heisman in two years. Some of his throws weren't great. Also, some of Alex Dalton's throws weren't great. So I, I, I'm not going full Kirk Herbstreit here, but yes. there were some uncatchable balls. I'm yeah. so glad you said that because there, the yards per catch for Shewo was 4.8. The yards per catch for Darius was 5.8. No one else had yards per catch under 10. Uh, no okay. one else had yards per target under 7. And so, Which I kind of like. I think I, I, you want the catch rate to go up, but at least they're throwing the ball kind of downfield. Semi. Well, so I think I actually disagree with the freshman because you can think about this is my like crazy wonky stat. And this is like my advertisement for if I had location data, I would be able to look at this more, more granularly. But like if you think about geometric, let's, let's go back to algebra. You met algebra two. Did you take algebra two sophomore year high school? I did. So fun fact, that's the only class in high school I made a B in. Um, because I was playing golf. And so every Monday I was at a golf tournament and I would miss the first lesson of the week. Yeah. And that set up the foundation for the week. Yeah. Uh, which is, you know, a good lesson for all of us that you need to start thinking mm -hmm. well. You should just stop playing um, golf. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So, so I think, uh, that's that, that like algebra two, you know, you're talking about, uh, you know, angles and, and all this. And so like, I'm thinking about like, everyone talks about average depth of target, which is the distance between the line of scrimmage and where the receiver catches the ball. Right. Yep. I'm actually more interested in geometric depth, depth of target, which is the hypotenuse okay. of the line between the width and the depth. Right. So if you think about like mm -hmm. the yards downfield, plus the width between the quarterback yep. to that person horizontally, it's that hypotenuse, yep. it's that diagonal line. And, uh, and so I think, I think actually TCU does, in 2019 did and, and, and before does a disservice. I mean, how many times dude, did you see Kenny Hill throw like a five well, yard out that looked like it was like 27 yards? Okay. Line? To be fair. I think Kenny Hill is a decent quarterback. I've never seen a worse quarterback at throwing out. But well, because, I, it, because it, they would run to the short, they would be on the boundary. Well, I, I know, I know. But, but and they would like, run a 15 yard out to the field. And it's like, okay, that's a 40 yard <laughs> downfield. I've seen quarterbacks that can make that throw. Kenny was not one of no, them. No, I think no, Kenny had a chance. He did. And again, not to bag on Kenny. He, I'm, I'm completely fine with Kenny Hill. I'm a defender. But yeah, 
every time he threw one out, I thought it was going to get intercepted. I'm going to come back um, to my point. Well, also like downfield, I'm convinced. Oh gosh, we're speculating. I'm convinced we're Kenny speculating. Hill has like a, an an undiagnosed vision problem because like his like middle of the field passes. <laughs> Part of that was he was throwing to like five foot nothing Cavante Turpin. They were like, "Hey, it's third and nine. Let's throw in. Let's throw a fifteen yard in to five foot nothing Cavante Turpin and hope it works out." But um. Yeah, so so I think uh, my my actual detour here. Okay, you know like Malcolm Perry or Keenan Reynolds who played at Navy as like a triple option yeah, quarterback. Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kenny Hill would have been like the best Navy triple option quarterback in the history of Navy. Oh, like yeah. they would 100%. build statues of Kenny Hill at Navy. Like his skill set was just like so much that. Okay, uh, again, that Kenny Hill into- was a Kenny Hill was a good quarterback. Yeah, I think we could agree on that. Absolutely. Um, okay. And as well, dude, I'm glad he's around the team. Okay. Yes, for so sure. So pulling Absolutely. that back into geometric depth of target. So basically what you have, if you look at this, is like a super high variance. Because if you look at like yards per catch for like Rager, 14.3, Barber, 12, to Violence Hunt, 15.5, Crowell's 11, uh, Darius Davis, 12, John Stevens Jr., 13, Darius Anderson, 5.8, Shewell Lanalua, 4.8. That is unweight. Like there's no, there's no weight there, right? That comes out in the, right. in the average depth of target. But it's like basically what TC's offense was, was, uh, you know, and, and I think I'll plug this here. I have a piece coming Friday where, where I, I really break this down. Like TC's offense was a seam or a fade or a check down. Um, there, there was yep. no intermediate passing game. And so these average depth of target numbers are actually misleading because it doesn't really take into account the fact that like you're either throwing it, you know, 25, 30 yards downfield or geometric depth of target, you know, 35 yards downfield if it's an out into a really tight window, or you're throwing it four yards to a running back because something's gone wrong. So th- those numbers, yeah. I think, are a little bit a little bit skewed. I agree. Defending Doug um, again. Yeah, well, on, okay. I promise we're going to actually talk about wide receivers. But before we do that, Parker, if you have stats up, close them real quick. Okay. No do you know how many touchdowns Alex Belton threw last year? I know how many he missed. <laughs> Okay. He threw uh, zero th- touchdowns. Three. I was going to say three. I was he's just going to give him credit. Okay. Zero. Well, I'm going to okay. give him credit for one because in the Arkansas Pine Bluff game, he had one where yeah. he hit the receiver yeah. just perfectly and it just like sure. ripped off his hands. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sorry. I, I, I had the stats up looking at it and I, that blew my mind. Okay. <laughs> I, Alex Hill is a good guy. I, I, he supported the TCU still, even though he left the team. Shout out to him. Um, Receivers for this year. Let's pick our starters. So you're you're running at your lineup. Let's say we got three guys wide out. Who do you want there? Okay, so Tay Barber is obviously your yes, um, sure. your kind of like your replacement, uh, which is you know a, a long line of a guy who's a little bit shorter, a little bit smaller, much faster, a downfield threat because of that. So he's he's kind of that like s- s- you know small bodied receiver who can really attack on multiple levels. I think you'll see a lot of him in the jet sweep, um, which is again, another, another favorite of the Sunny Cumbie offense. Um, I think you'll see a lot of him, unfortunately in the wild frog. Um, and I, I think he will be kind of your general athlete guy who gets the ball in a lot of places. I actually think that like, if TC was being smart about this, he and Evans wouldn't eat into each other's production but they would actually complement it by making you have to defend two very versatile guys in, in different place places. Um, but I think they actually will end up eating into each other's production a little bit. Um, but he's, so he's number one. 
Okay, I, I, I will co-sign that. I'll say okay. that. My my next guy is going to be um, a similar body, but a different skill set in J.D. Spielman, the transfer from Nebraska. Mm-hmm. So he's going to be immediately eligible, I believe. Am I wrong about that? No, I no, I don't think you're wrong. Okay, he, um, he's listed on the roster at least. Yeah, and he's he's five nine one eighty. So he and he and Tay Barber are very similar. But I think mm-hmm. I think we'll see less of Spielman and kind of that like flex role where he's like in the backfield running a wheel route or uh, running the Jeff sweep. And I think we'll see more of him in that like downfield beat a man get open kind of Rager role. And so yep. you have Barber and Spielman who who could be redundant in a bad offense, but I think in a good offense will be kind of like a, uh, you, you focus on one and you get beat by the other. Yeah. Uh, for those that don't know, because I don't, I don't think we've talked about him on the podcast before. Spielman was a uh, freshman All-American in 2017 at Nebraska. Uh, he was third team All-Big Ten in both 2017 as a freshman and as a sophomore, and he was an honorable mention uh, in 2019 All-Big Ten. So very, very good wide receiver. And, and and a really exciting addition. Like I have a weirdly, I have a lot of friends that are Nebraska fans um, that also went to TCU. I don't know how that happened, but that's, all of them are very excited about. That's not weird at all. That's everyone's experience. Yeah, um. that's a good point. Um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, and all of them are very excited about JD Spielman. Yeah. So I think I think the issue that you see there is you have two guys, neither of whom is a possession receiver, neither of whom is that third and five run stick and get the ball and get us the first down receiver. And that's right. the next hole you need to fill. Um, and so, so my so, next – oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was about to say, we have two different guys here. I, I think it's Tavalence Hunt to start the season. Okay. I, I, I think Tavalence Hunt is underdeveloped. I think he is raw and will still need to improve. I think he is that mm-hmm. kind of big-body possession receiver that TCU needs. Who's, who's your guy? Okay. I – so – the problem with my guy is that he's not a big body. And I, I, I think that TCU is going to field an undersized wide receiver core on a lot of downs. Absolutely. I think Mikel, I, well, I, I think Mikel Barkley is going to be a big part of the offense. And I'd have him as a number three. I agree with that. I actually have him in my, in my, um, I have him in my contenders, uh, like my contributors. Uh-huh. Um, and I think I, uh, this is all speculation. He'll probably return punts. Just looking at his like I, I'd be fine with that. skill sets uh, or skill set. Yeah. Um, yeah. But here's the thing, man. If you run a lineup out there that has Spielman, five eleven, five eleven, five nine. Yeah, it, it's not great. It's not great. I, I all I'll say is that I'm in every press God. conference and every interview that I went to last year, all of them were like, dude, when Mikel gets healthy. Like, just get that guy healthy. And with the offseason, you know, I, I assume he's healthy by now. I, I You know, he's had months. Um, I think he's going to feature prominently. And I'm fine with that. And, and I, I am actually a bigger surveillance hunt believer than most people. I want him to be a part of it. But I think Barkley is going to force his way into the lineup one way or another. I'm worried that the that the small wide receiver core, not to split them into small and big, but there is kind of like a, a clear. But no, you're right. You're right. The yeah. small wide receiver core is going to have the same problem as the running back core, where it's like, man, we've got a lot of talent. They're all mm-hmm. talented in a similar way. How are we going to mm-hmm. utilize them? So my question to you about the wide receiver core is, Grant, in, in 2019, TC was 89th in ISO points per play, which is explosiveness. Um, uh-huh. 89th nationally. 
how are how are they going to be able to translate that explode? Like, how are they going to improve explosiveness if they're fielding a bunch of like similar looking guys who are all small have have you know the same body type? I I just don't yeah. know that that's gonna that's gonna present defenses with enough of a challenge, enough variety to kind of move things around. No, I think that's completely fair. I, I think that it's going to take some. So if okay, I'm gonna try to phrase this diplomatically. I think the most talented guys on the TC roster at wide receiver are smaller. Yes, absolutely. Would you agree with me on that? Okay, absolutely. okay. So I would like to see an offense that maximizes that aspect. So you're running, you know, a lot of slants, a lot of quick routes, stuff like that, and can turn short routes into big plays. Now that's a big ask. I, I don't. I certainly don't know how to do it. Um, but I think that would be my answer: is to use quick tempo passing and eventually burn defense just because they're tired. And you, you get a guy open over the middle on a quick route and have them go. Yeah, um, so, I, I think that that would be the answer. So I'll say. Um, I mean, absolutely. My favorite drive of last year was the second, the end of the first half drive against Texas, where TC basically just ran yep. stick like eight times. Oh, so I think beautiful. Oh, my God. So, I think so my, about it every day. Like, yeah. Look, man, Ron Swanson says, don't half-ass two things. Whole-ass one thing. Whole-ass one Whole-ass the air raid, dude. Freaking do it. Yeah, do it. Like, or, you have or, running again, backs. Or, or run or, the triple option. Yeah. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. Just pick <laughs> one. Uh, you know, it's like – Revelation, we go biblical, TCU, right? We can go biblical, like Revelation. If yep. you're 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 either hot or cold, if you're lukewarm, I'm gonna spit you out. Like, pick something, yep. just freaking pick yep. some. So, I my agree. one caveat here, Quentin Johnson. Yes, I was just about to try to register for that. Six four, I think he's gonna be good. Weighs nothing, but I think could absolutely be that kind of like outside downfield threat and really fit in nicely with this with this group. So, I think Quentin Johnson provides that over the top level. Um, I don't want to forget about Dylan Thomas or Darius Davis. Um, I think John Stevens Jr. is a nice guy and provides some depth. Um, I think Aldontre Davis probably fits into that like nice guy who fills some depth and has some talent. But I don't think we'll see either of them featured. I think Quentin Johnson steps yep. up. I think Dylan Thomas and Darius Davis will kind of be, you know, when TCU's running four wide, five wide, they'll be out there. I agree. I would have loved to have seen um, Quentin Johnson in spring ball. Yeah. And to see what he could have done, um, just, you know, with a few reps, going into the spring game, see what he does. Um, the buzz about him is unbelievable. I think he's going to be extremely good. Um, I, I, I have a real soft spot for Darius Davis. I don't know why. And I know we talked about, you know, the, the surplus of short wide receivers, but I, I, I want him to be able to thrive. I, 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 but, I, I mean, yeah, that's like- he, he's kind of – do you remember Deontay Gray? I forget about your timeline. Yes, like, I do. I, I, love, I love Deontay Gray. Where you're just like, man, I, I had such high hopes for you. It's not that you were bad, but you just never got there. Um, and Desmond White kind of fills in that role a little yep. bit. Um, we're just like, yep. man, I just want your skill set to be utilized. And I feel like Darius Davis and Dylan Thomas – you know, Dylan Thomas has been injured. Um, I just yeah, remember yeah. him because he has a poet's name. But, like, I, I think both of those uh, guys – I, I, bought a, I bought a book of Dylan Thomas's poetry the other day. Oh. He wrote my favorite poem of all time. So whatever that I, does for you. Please. I have to ask. Are you are you okay? You're <laughs> uh, <laughs> there, but yeah. Um, yeah. So so I think both of those guys are like skill set guys that like if they get plugged in the right way could be really really compelling. Um, if they stay yep. healthy, could be really really compelling. So 
both of those in the wide receiver court, like, again, I think it's basically like Barber Spielman hunt and then a Mm -hmm. bunch of question marks. Yeah. And it's question marks, but it's question marks that I think we can be optimistic about, you know, it's guys that we we don't know how they're going to be plugged in, but we know that they have talent and even if there were two or three backups, which we talked about that could feature and that I'd be fine with them featuring, I think that's okay. And as long as everybody stays healthy, I mean, that, that was the big problem last year was that no one was healthy. And so pro right. Wells was playing slot, right? You know, and as long as they stay healthy, Duggan will have options. Absolutely. And yeah, I, we'll just see how they use them. Um, okay. Let's, so let's, before we, before we get to, we have offensive line and we have quarterback left. Um, yeah. I just want to, I just want to throw a little plug here. If you've listened this far, you're a dedicated listener. We really appreciate you. Um, I just want to, I just want to throw a little bit of a shout out to our friends over at the Granberry Theater. Uh, they, oh, uh, yeah. you know, they contribute to making this podcast happen, which we're really, really flattered by and really, really excited about. And the Granberry Theater is an independent movie theater in Fort Worth. It's, it's one room with a screen. Uh, Jimmy, the owner, is a, a great guy who really cultivates this really nice kind of like movie experience you know there's movies there you're not going to see anywhere else parasite won a won a won awards out the out the wazoo was uh only showing there in in fort worth um and and they're a really great business they um the you know this this covid stuff man hits all of us differently and like a movie theater is really really rough right now they have um a couple of interesting opportunities for you to support them um you know they have gift cards uh for future movies if you say hey like hey i, I like this theater why don't i pay now so things stay open so I can use them later. You can buy gift mm-hmm. gift cards online at their website. And then second, um, they will let you rent the theater. If you and a couple of people want to socially distance and sit across, you know, couches and watch whatever movie you want, um, they'll they'll let you rent the theater out. So Granberry Theater um in Fort Worth, it's just off West Seventh, kind of in the Foundry District. Go check them out. Tell Jimmy that uh, the Purple Theory podcast sent you. Um they're they're uh you know, really, really great folks over there. Um along those lines, I want to plug uh Whitehound Agency also makes this podcast happen. Whitehound Agency is rent, uh, run by friend of the pod, Eric, um, and his wife and their dog is a Whitehound, uh, which is where their agency comes. For all your marketing, business, strategy, SEO needs, um, they're, they're the people to go to. So, um, you know, in this time, you're looking at switching to online and uh, making sure that you're connecting with customers in kind of this new digital distance age. Whitehoundco.com uh, is where you'll find Whitehound Agency. And uh, again, tell Eric that the uh, Purple Theory podcast sent you. So uh, just some friends of the podcast that make it happen, wanted to plug them yeah, here. Sure. Um, and with that, let's, uh, let's talk about the offensive line. Does that sound good? Let's do it. Uh, yeah, shout out, again, not to discount Whitehound Theater. Shout out to or White, uh, Whitehound Marketing. Shout out to Granberry Theater. Uh, yeah, I, I have been there before, really enjoyed it. And I actually have a role as a movie critic in my current job. Um, so I've been seeing a lot of like random movies. Uh, I've looked at what they've shown and they're all great. So shout out to Grand Theater. Also, five five dollar yeah. beer is the best deal you're gonna get in a movie theater in Fort Worth. So. Man, you really are. That's that's yeah, it's the best deal. Um okay, the offensive line, Parker, tell me why I shouldn't be worried. TJ Storm, it's a big old boy. That's why you should be worried. <laughs> He's gonna be good. He's gonna be good. Uh I think I think I think TJ is gonna be awesome. Uh I, I think it's hard to like man, it's it's hard to say Lucas Niang went out during the Texas game and then a lot of bad things happened. Uh, I think yeah. I had, I had tallied the numbers and TCU had like, you know, 13 QB hits a game before Niang went out. And then they had like 22 after he went mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so absolutely 
uh, some differences. So, so let me give you some, some, some big, uh, some highlights. I think TJ Stormont at tackle is going to slide in really, really nicely, um, to that, to that left tackle role. Um, I think that Coy McMillan has a lot of room to grow as a center, but he has so much experience that he's absolutely going to be a rock of this line like he was last year. Wes Harris was a really, really highly touted uh, recruit. And as a guard, I think that he will um, play really, really well. And the last two are kind of guessing. So um, I think Brandon Coleman is a JUCO transfer. I think he'll actually take over that, uh, that right tackle spot and cover for Niang. Um, and then, and then Austin Myers, who's a senior, has been really experienced, should fill in at that guard role. So I feel good about all five of those guys. I think there's some, uh, you know, there's a couple people who might like might steal some spots or some, you know, steal some starts there. But on the whole, I think that the offensive line is 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 pretty set and is actually a more experienced unit than than we thought. Well, I. I... I feel better now that you've talked to me. Uh, I, I, I do think that uh, TJ Storm made a lot. I'm excited for him. I really am. I think he's going to be an extremely good player at left tackle. Um, McMillan was a fixture at TCU media um, press conferences and stuff like that. I, I think he's a extremely smart dude, and I feel comfortable with him. Uh, playing center, which is an extremely, you know, cerebral position, things like that. Wes Harris started five games as a freshman and was injured a lot last year. Um, comes in one of the best high school programs in Texas at Alito High School. Um, and he started at right guard, so he, he does have experience there. Um, I, I, I will, first off, we should have talked about this before we started the offensive line preview. Chris Dyke. Okay, best hair, dude. Honestly, just like he looks like a king. Uh, it's so yeah. good. You just you just look at him. You're like, I feel compelled to like get on a knee and say like, Your Honor or Your Excellency. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know if he will like play football at all, but like Chris Dyke just has this like just this very tasteful regal goatee, and then he just has this long flowing blonde mane. It's it's so impressive. It's beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Outside of Chris Dyke, who. God bless. Should play a lot of downs. Um, I, I'm, I'm fine with Austin Myers being a senior, having experience playing that guard position. I think Brandon Coleman is a really interesting prospect uh, coming in as a junior. I, I'm not thrilled about it just because they they don't have as much experience um, being like starters. I mean, you know, TCU lost four starting offensive linemen between Yang, Balasami, uh, Cordell Iwagu, and Anthony McKinney, and not to disparage any of those guys, I wasn't happy with the performance all the time, but the fact of the matter is that they did have a lot of starts in that offense. And so these guys that are coming up don't have that experience. Um, there are a couple people who I think could fight for some of those spots, Austin Myers and Kelton Holland among them. I was going to uh, say, I, I, thought, I felt bad. I felt bad not, not scheduling Kelton Hollins in there. And I can't, yeah, I can't explain that. There's no spring ball. I don't. I don't mean to. I don't, like. I think he's very no, good. I, know. I think I know. he could absolutely plug in. Yeah. So I don't mean to. I don't I, mean to like disparage him at all. No, I think he sure. could absolutely compete for one of those jobs. Um. I, you know, looking at the rest of these guys that are listed, I mean, wh- what I really like about, you know, Myers is like Myers has played tackle. I think he's. I think he's a little big for guard. But like, yeah. You look at you know Quasel White's probably not going to start. Uh, Garrett Hayes, you hope doesn't see the light of day for like two years. 
Um, but I am, I am I am excited oh, about him. For the awesome. Record. Yes. Yes. Awesome. Yes. But you, you yeah. just look at the rest of these guys and you're like, I just don't, I don't see, I see a lot of depth and a lot of guys who could fill in. I don't see that natural next starter, which is why I just kind of like that, that guard, that, 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 so I think Harris is left guard. I, I, I'm not going to pretend like I know, but like, sure, sure. One of the guards is Harris, Harris played for sure. Guard for, Harris played right guard for five games as a freshman. Would be the right guard. So, right yeah, that's 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 so yeah. that so that left guard, I just don't have anything. And so I think I think Myers yeah. is just like the most senior guy there. Yeah, but I think Hollins sure. could slide in. I mean I mean, who knows what's gonna happen in this fall, but like Quasel White could 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 slide in. He he started a couple games last year. Um and, and, and played some time. So both of those guys, I mean Quasel White's three seventeen, dude. So like that gets pretty big for guard, uh, yeah. especially in like yeah. TCU's system. So that's that's why Eileen Myers, but like I, I honestly the more we talk about it, the more I talk about it out loud, I think Kelton Hollins could absolutely compete for that for that job. Mm-hmm. I, I've also heard a lot of people and I, I think I said um Austin Myers is a guy who could compete. I, obviously I, I think he will start. I, I I've heard people talk about um Andrew Coker potentially uh, potentially earning reps at offensive tackle, even though I don't think he'll start. Um he was a redshirt freshman, preserved his redshirt last year. Um, but played in three games in the Big 12 play. I, I think he could see a lot of time in rotation. Would be. Uh, Honestly, I mean, he, I, he was he was a good, he was a number. He was a very nice ranking. He was a number 69 overall player in Texas uh, coming out of high school. I hope uh, he. So I, I think he will see rotation. Yeah, I hope I hope yeah. he gets the opportunity. I hope there's plenty of chances for him to do that. I hope it's not because of injury. I absolutely am yep. penciling guys like him in as a starter in the future. Um, and so, yeah, so I'm definitely, especially in like the shortened season, I'm, I'm preferring experience, but like Hayes, I think Hayes and Coker will absolutely kind of be guys of the future. I think Tyler Guyton was like pretty decently ranked. Um, yep. And so, you know, all, all district guy. Yeah. Uh, and so I think something like that in a couple years, but I'm not sure about like how soon, I don't know enough to know how soon those guys will right. impact. I, I I think you're exactly right. The, uh, again, before we leave offensive line, I really think Garrett Hayes is going to be extremely good. Yes, I, can, I'm, can I'm I, sold on him. His okay. Again, I'm not a film guy. Holy cow! If you haven't seen, I think like oh yeah, I saw him on Jeremy Clark's Twitter. Which shout out to Jeremy Clark, um, dude. Just like in terms of being a huge human being who can do crazy fast things with his hand and feet, like I just don't understand it. I, I don't understand how that happens. I played offensive line in no. high school, and I was like cardboard and duct tape man i was like yeah. i was like pinching people and punching you in the kidney and biting you when you're down i do not understand how you can just be like big and fast and dominant enough to like take over people. yeah he's, yeah he's gonna be incredible whatever um okay i, I will say wait so, so my last time on the offensive yes. line before we go to our 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 friend uh, our boy addition by subtraction and i don't mean that tc is going to get better because niang is gone I mean that TCU is going to have on paper a worse offensive line going into the season than they did last year, and it's going to be a better unit than it was last year. I'm fine with that take. I, 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 which is why I would have loved, and again, not to be pessimistic and for pretending all this corona isn't happening, which is why I would have loved three games of non-Day 12 play to yeah. get these guys ready for the season. But yes, Absolutely. no, I, I think by the end of the year, that will be a – thing I, I just would have loved to have had them have some time to gel as a unit before we get into the games that count mm-hmm. but yes i know exactly what you mean and not to bury anybody but i think it's going to be a a a good growing year that will yield a good line by the end of it yes for sure 
Parker, you have a, a tweet about – is it about Max Duggan that you want to get into? Okay, can I freaking read this? Can I just – gosh, I'm yes. so unhappy about it. Okay, again, I've been on Twitter like two minutes in the last couple of days. Um, but I was on long enough to freaking see Bill Conley, who is now canceled. Bill Conley is canceled. Oh, no. Bill Conley tweeted and said, yes, Max Duggan was a freshman QB last year, but he also had Jalen Rager – Tay Barber and Tavalence Hunt out wide, and TCU still couldn't throw at all. Adding James okay. Spielman will help, but how much? I'm 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 I am livid. I am so unhappy about this take. Okay, we we talked about the wide receivers. We we both think Hunt and Barber will be big players this year. Boy, bad tweet, bad take. So bad. And so, again, I'm, I don't want to drag Bill. Uh, but we're gonna no, drag I Bill. love Bill. God Bill's, him, Bill's great. Yeah. And, but, like, yeah. this, this is a little bit what happens when you cover every team and you don't get to go into depth and context because every team has this exact same nuance. Um, yeah. I, I, I'm, I, you know, as someone who covers college football nationally for Football Outsiders, uh, buy my book. Uh, I'm just kidding. It's, like, 25. I wrote, like, 25 paragraphs. Don't buy my book. Um, but, like, you know, you, you look at this and you start getting to a team and you're like, man, this guy wasn't good. And you go down that rabbit hole and you're like, oh, I can see some reasons why. But then if you go down every rabbit hole, man, you just can't cover everybody. So yep. I get that a little bit. But like the, the Max Duggan slander has to stop because here's, here's the long and short of it, right? Here's it. Max Duggan came into spring last year and everyone thought like, hey, man, this kid's throwing the ball pretty well. Alex Delton will probably start. Mike Collins should, you know, cover in. And that was even – let me go back even further – Who's supposed to be the starting quarterback in 2019 at TCU, Grant? Uh, Sean Robinson. Sean Robinson. If Sean Robinson sucks, who's supposed to be the next guy? Justin, Justin Rogers. Rogers. How many of them were competing for the quarterback job in 2019? None. None. Right. Zero. And, and that's the, the thing. choice. Right. Go ahead. Duggan was supposed to be the 2021 starter. Duggan was supposed to redshirt. His first year starting was supposed yes. to be 2021. Not yes. his, not his second good, year. Not his third year. Yes. His first year. So what and, and is, this is this is something that I've talked to Shayhan J. Raja about quite a friend of the podcast, Shayhan, love him to death, would kill for Shayhan J. Raja. Except when he talks about Max. Right. He came from playing Iowa high school football, no offense to our Hawkeye friends up north, to playing in the Big Twelve. And you're gonna have a learning curve. Mm-hmm. He 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 was okay. robbed of a lot of development. Even if even if Sonny Cumbie called Max Duggan in, in December of 2018 and said, Max, you're my guy. You're my number one starting quarterback. I'm going to groom you for this position so that you are going to take over the starting job in 2019, right? Even if he had that knowledge, there would be this learning curve, right? He didn't have that yep. knowledge. He came in the spring ball and he competed because that's the kind of kid he is. No one else stepped up. Mike Collins was hurt. Matthew Baldwin never materialized. Alex Delton is bad. And Max Duggan earned a starting job, and he has gotten more shit for earning a starting job than any other freaking football, any other any other quarterback in college football. It's just so frustrating to see, like, there is no nuance there. Did he have some throws he absolutely screwed up? Yes. Un- unequivocally, yes, for sure. For sure. Unequivocally. Absolutely. But he was a freshman who wasn't expected to start, and you've got to figure that out. And then you've got to start thinking about it's a poor workman who blames his tools. Right, as so you start thinking about the offense and how the offense wasn't designed for a strength. Do you know? Do you know the top two quarterbacks in in creating rushing value with their legs? 
according to Pro Football Focus in 2019, Grant? No, number I sure one, don't, Parker. Trevor Lawrence, number two, Max Duggan. Do you know why Max Duggan is number two? Because on third downs, Max Duggan ran for his ever-loving life, and he created yep. value out of nothing. Absolutely nothing. Max Duggan succeeded in spite of his offense, in spite of the fact that he wasn't expected to start. And to insinuate that he held back TCU's offense is an affront to good taste and decency. Thank you for coasting. Yeah, man, yeah, I agree. I'm so unhappy about that. I'm not like I'm not delusional. Max Duggan is not going to be a first-round NFL pick. He might stick with the team. He might find the right situation. He might develop into the kind of guy that could be, you know, an NFL veteran. Absolutely. I'm not saying he's going to win the Heisman in 2020, except as a joke and optimism as a fan. But like Max Duggan is absolutely I, going to be a, a an above-average Big 12 quarterback. He has the tools to be elite. He has the tools to win a Heisman. But he absolutely is going to be an above-average Big 12 quarterback. And if you base your opinion of this kid – on one season where he wasn't supposed to start and where the offense was specifically designed in, in, as an antithesis of his skill set, you're delusional. You might not win the Heisman in 2020. In 2021, I think it's a possibility. Um, I, I, I co-sign everything you said. I, I will add this. So we, we joke a lot about Duggan. Um, obviously, both of us ride very hard for him. I think two things can be true which is that Max Duggan is a good quarterback and that Max Duggan, if not more often than not, than at many points during the year in 2019, wasn't good, I think. I think both things can be true. I think, I think he wasn't good. And you can, hold on, you can contextualize that and say he wasn't given the opportunities. You can say a lot of times his receivers let him down, which I think is true. But I think it sometimes he, he, he made poor decisions, which were freshman mistakes. He made bad throws, which were freshman mistakes. And at times he was not good. Mm-hmm. But he is a good quarterback and has a potential to be a great one. And writing him off and blaming him for a lot of the mistakes and the, the failures of the TCU office last year is, is, is not valid. It, 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 you know, it doesn't add up. I, I'm fine with splitting those hairs and saying that in 2019, Max Duggan, through the air, at least, because I do think he added a ton of value running, was not all that good. But by God, I don't know how you look at his tape and look at the context and say that he won't be good in the future. Yes. So so on early downs, uh, you know, early downs, first and second downs, that strips away a lot of that, like, third down context, which right, I think it right. just tells you, like, hey, in normal circumstances, what's your offense doing? TC was 121st in EPA per play, Grant. 121st. For all the talk about their rushing success, they were 57th overall on uh, on on early down on early downs. Their passing was negative 0.346 EPA per play, and and, and you just gotta think like, you know, if you if you you've got to operate within your constraints, and I don't think TCU right. did a good job of operating within their constraints, like. Max Duggan had some great moments. That um, touchdown to Jalen Rager against Texas Tech was an incredible throw. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a touchdown. His entire to Texas game. Entire Texas game. Yes. I love all of that. Some of that is yeah. like there's, there's a tiny asterisk, and I'm not going to go full. I won't even say the name. It's fine. I'm not going to go full conspiracy theorist here, but like Todd Orlando wasn't taking the TCU game by blitzing all the time. Like TCU right. outsmarted Todd Orlando some. Um, but like yes. even with that, Duggan had an incredible game in terms of 
finding finding holes and exploiting them. Duggan struggled when he was asked to throw fades repeatedly, uh, which which shouldn't know, happen. Right. Like uh, you just you just look at this thing over and over again. Um, I, I Grant, I can point to a couple throws that if they hadn't been dropped, you, you know, Max Duggan is is an up and coming star. Max Duggan is getting every bit. Okay, here's my here's my hot take. Here's where I'm going. I'm going on a record with this. Max Duggan gets every bit amount of the amount of the press that like Sam Howell or Keaton Slovis is getting, or even Bo Nix is getting, if two passes are caught. And I won't put I won't put individual people on 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 black. I'm not going to say individual names, but West well, Virginia, Baylor yeah. first quarter, both of those get caught. Those are 30 plus yard touchdowns. TCU wins both of those games. TCU goes to bowl. Entirely different perception of Max Duggan, and so if you you're just a fool if you're letting those those couple with with a you know with with a myriad other other catches that were dropped. Um, so like he had bad plays. I'm saying don't change any of his bad plays. I'm not writing any of those off. Yep. He made some throws that were frankly bewildering. Yeah. But if you just okay. if you just don't drop a couple of those passes, Max Duggan is is what you and I believe. In. Like the national media believes Max Duggan is what you and I believe in him. Uh, and they're entirely letting a couple of those drops color their perception. Completely agree. So I think that's our quarterback take. I, I want to ask you, Parker, um, before we close out, we overlooked this a bit when talking about running backs. Um, and I don't, I don't know if you have any takes on it. I'm still trying to kind of workshop mine, but um, what do you think about the addition of Brian Applewhite as running backs coach? Um, so I, I, th- I think it's interesting. I think, you know, getting experience on the offensive line or getting experience on the offensive side is, is good and, and, and shaking things up. And he's definitely like a different voice. He's not a guy who's been there before. He's not a Gary Patterson friend. Colorado last year, Colorado state, excuse me, was 83rd in rushing SP plus. Ah, mm. uh, they were. I, well, okay. Okay. Yeah, okay. I, I think he's a very good um, recruiter. I think that's which, fair. Which I, I haven't looked at the numbers, so I don't know like how well he's done relative to average. But like, sure, I'm willing to grant that. I think it, I think I think the you know the the influence that a running backs coach has over the actual offense is like smaller than you know just blaming. Oh, he had a bad. Okay. You know, they were bad yeah. running because he yeah. didn't coach the offensive line. Yeah. He didn't call plays. Whatever. I like the idea of him being. Uh, a, a new face and someone different. That's what I was advocating for all, all off season was like, hire somebody different, hire somebody new and fresh. I haven't watched enough of uh, Colorado state's offense, but I know um, a transfer um, went to South Carolina and, and I have a couple South Carolina sources who uh, sources listen to me being a journalist. I'm not a journalist. Just mm-hmm. some dudes I talked to on Twitter. Hey, 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 come on, man. That's my corner. You can't, uh, you can't horn in on that. Uh, but so so somebody transferred, and this is so vague, and I can't look this up. Uh, I'm 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 pulling it up right now, which is just great. Yeah. So like, Colin Hill, the quarterback, they were like very high on his rushing ability, um, and like had some really good things to say about the Colorado State line, like offense. And so potentially you've got TJ Storm at there. You've got somebody who's known the offense, and then you've got Brian Applewhite who can like say. Hey, when we're running, why don't we instead of inside zone throw in this wrinkle? I think that can only right. improve the rushing game. So I'm optimistic about that. I'm not. I don't think he's as game changer as like, you know. I don't think he's a game changer like yeah, Brendan Marion would be or anything. I but I think he's definitely not not an upgrade because you know 
Curtis Looper left and took a better job. So it's not like we're trying to improve right. him per se. Right. But I, I think he could, I could talk myself into that being upgrade. Yeah. And I was just curious, and I know I put you on the spot there. I, I, I'm curious to see what he does. I do agree that he doesn't have the same influence of the offense as, say, Jerry Kill does, who we could spend 20 minutes on, but this podcast is already an hour, 20 minutes long. Um, I, I, I'm excited. I really am. And I think he's got a, with such a young running back core, I'm curious to see what he does with those guys. Um, so yeah, I, I would just, I, I'm, he will very definitely happy have his, his fingerprint on TCU football for years uh, yes. for, for the immediate future. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And, and I, I am optimistic about it. So Absolutely. I was curious about your take. Yep. Okay. So, uh, the only other note I have about quarterbacks is because Matt Baldwin, like medically retired, retired. I just have this note about who's going to be the backup quarterback. Yeah. I think it's going to be Stefan Brown. And so my Maybe. note was Stefan Brown, uh, parentheses, Jesus. Because. Yeah, well. <laughs> yeah. So. If Max Duggan goes down, put Tay Barber as the quarterback and run the triple option, dude. Like. Yeah. Oh, flex <laughs> Put Zach Evans as the quarterback and, and run the triple option. Yes, absolutely. Um, no, I, I, uh, yeah, look. So here are the quarterbacks on TCU's roster right now. Um, hold on, Go Frogs is killing me. Okay, uh, Stephon Brown, Max Duggan, Jake Newfeld, Azusa Pacific, uh, right? Azusa Pacific, yes. Um, Eli Williams, who's a freshman, and and I don't know a lot about him. Uh, from Sepulpa, Oklahoma, pretty decent recruit. Matthew Downing, Grant Buchler, and that's it. So yeah, not 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 great. Uh, we need you need no. you need Max Duggan to be healthy the entire year. Although, can I can I just use this opportunity too? Um, look, if you if you're a listener, you know we have we have like a hundred dedicated listeners, and we're flattered by all those listeners. If you're a listener, God bless, who, you. God bless you. If you're a listener who every time TCU gets a quarterback commit tweets about them starting, stop it. Stop it right now. Yep. The freaking walk-on from Mississippi State is not starting. The Juco kid is not starting. Quit it. Max Duggan's not the problem. Just cut Just cut it out. That's my that's – my, I've been on so many soapboxes tonight. But for the love of God, we need depth. We don't need a new starter. I agree. Parker, is there anything left to say about the TCU offense? I'm going to stick my head out the window, Grant, and say I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. Oh, um, yeah. Shout-out Network. Shout-out Sydney. Lumaire, Lumaire, I can't remember. Uh, great director. Shout out Twelve Angry Men. All those shout out, shout out Twelve Angry Men. Uh, no, I think yeah. that's a, I think that's as a comprehensive and rambling uh, of a of a preview of the offense as we can get. I'm I'm excited about this offense. I'm like cautiously optimistic. Um, yes. I do have. I, I I am really proud of this thing I'm writing on Friday. Uh, I think I guess I'm committing to posting on Friday now. Just about like what does Sunny Company's offense really look like. Um, so you kind of like understand it on its own terms. I think that'll be interesting uh, looking at, you know, what is the talent TCU has and, and what can they do with it is, is, is something interesting. So, yeah, I mean, I think the offense will lag behind the defense again this year, but that's, that's TCU for you. If the offense could take a step and instead of being, you know, in the 60s or the 80s, can be in the 30s or the 40s, the defensive ceiling just raises that's great. so much. Yeah, that's going to be so great. Yeah. Cool. Well, yeah. Well, I will also have a column in the Purple Theory newsletter. Um, Parker's is going to be you know, much more educational. But um, I, I also have some thoughts. Um, I'm not going to give it away, but make sure 
to sign up for that. And Parker, where can they sign up for the Purple Theory newsletter? Uh, just on Substack. So if you Google Purple Theory Substack, you'll find it, but it's also just purpletheory.substack.com. You can also find it uh, in my Twitter bio, at Stats War. although uh, I'm not really on Twitter anymore. I don't know. It's pending. Uh, that, <laughs> pending that's going to last about a week, and then I'll have takes. Dude, yeah. no, we're at like two weeks right now. Um, yeah, Grant, uh, and, then, and then Grant also retweets it, so follow him. Uh, but yeah, we, yeah. Got, we got some good stuff coming up there. Uh, make sure you like and subscribe. Look, if, and if you know a TCU fan who likes this or, or a TCU fan who doesn't know about this podcast and you like this podcast, just share it with them. We don't, we don't care yeah. about our reach. We don't care about our audience. Just like we like the community. And if, and if somebody you know might, might like this podcast, share it with them. Um, yeah. We definitely also, I said this last time, but I mean it for real. We owe you a mailbag. And I have some questions that are really interesting. We're going to do those next week when we come back and do the defensive preview. I'm excited to talk about the real stars of TC football, uh, the great grinders, the defense, next week. Absolutely. Uh, everybody wash your hands, wear a mask, be safe, and we'll catch you next week. Bye, everybody.